Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at beyondblathers.square.site and take a look at the animal stickers and postcards we have for sale. We also just wanted to take a second to tell you about a podcast playlist we put together. So Sophia and I are both big podcast nerds and we partnered with Podacy, an online community of podcast lovers, to share some of our favorite episodes with you. There are lots of cool science pods in there, an episode on indigenous fashion, and even a true crime podcast. You can check it out at podacy.fm slash blathers. We'll also put a link in our show notes, so make sure to check it out. Okay, cool. So this week we're talking about the arapaima, which is just maybe one of the coolest fish in the game. The coolest, potentially. I don't know. Yeah. I like it. I, I would say so. Like as far as like the actual fish go, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah. They're very big and they look so like armored with their scales. Yeah. And when you catch one, it's like really satisfying. You're like, oh, that's a big fish. Yeah. sell for 10,000 bells. Ooh. So if you bring an arapaima to Blathers, he'll say, The stately arapaima is quite large. Indeed, it is among the largest freshwater fish there are. Furthermore, these fascinating fish make quite the family unit. That is to say, male arapaimas protect their young by holding them gently in their mouths. Meanwhile, female arapaimas swim circles around these full-mouthed fathers, fending off predators. It simply goes to show that cold-blooded creatures can be heartwarming, too. Aww. <laughs> okay, just, I gotta jump in here. I, okay, I read that fact on some, like, like, on Nat Geo and on, like, I think it was, like, the Smithsonian Zoo or something's website, but I wasn't able to find confirmed information like from from like a, a scientific source oh so I'm not a hundred percent positive on that fact the fact that they like hold the young in yeah their that mouths? they hold their young in their mouths yeah because I I read one paper that was like they definitely don't hold the eggs in their mouth that is a myth or 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 the, the paper was basically saying there's been no like direct evidence of that happening, at least according to that author. So yeah, I I haven't like elaborated on that fact simply because I couldn't find like really solid confirmation on it. But I hope it's true. And like definitely <laughs> relatives do like like relative fish can have those kinds of behaviors. So it's not like a totally outlandish suggestion. I'm pretty sure like animals in their order or sorry, fish in their order also do that so anyway I just wanted to make that comment there because it sounds like a really cute fact and I didn't want people to just be like you just brushed over the fact that they have their babies (laughs) in their mouths but that's why maybe we should change the podcast title to like debunking blathers (laughs) debunking blathers and it's so funny I feel like just a few like weeks ago we were saying how like blathers is so right so often (laughs) like we're so surprised and I feel like maybe Now we're going in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's mixed. (laughs) Science communication is hard. He's trying his best. It is very hard. Yeah, I mean, science is always disagreeing, so. 
But we'll talk about some stuff that, as far as I could tell, science didn't seem to disagree that much (laughs) on. Yes, please. Enough for me to feel comfortable talking about it. Okay, so I guess sort of to do the taxonomy bit, uh, their taxonomy isn't, at least to me, the most fascinating. So there's four species of arapaima, and they used to all be considered one species until really quite recently, like 2013. But in general, their ecology is pretty similar, so we're just going to be talking about them as a whole group today. Arapaima are also called piraruku, and this means redfish in the Tupi language in, I believe, Brazil. And so you might also hear them called piraruku, or you you might hear them called paiche, um, which is the name in Peru. And so, yeah, they've got like a whole bunch of different names. And they're very important to the local people that live in the areas that they live in. So I'm sure there's way more names than just those. They're also sometimes called like dinosaur fish. And that's because they've been around a really long time. So there have been fossils found dating back to like 13 million years ago in the Miocene epoch. So of course, that's long after dinosaurs, but they're still pretty old and, and they're still sort of one of those living fossil fish, which I think is pretty cool. And you can tell that when you look at them. I mean, as Blather said, they're absurdly massive, like just these chonker fish. They can get up to 15 feet long and 440 pounds. Of course, that's like extremely big. That's like the biggest one I'm sure that's ever been found. 440 pounds? Wow. Yes. No, like they're not just long. They're really, really thick. But yeah, of course, they're more commonly like six to eight feet, but that's still really impressive. So they're really big. And it's cool seeing these videos of local fishermen sort of hauling these massive fish into their boat. I don't know how they don't just like topple their canoes because the fish are like the size of the canoes. So anyway, it's it's very impressive. And they're also apparently very fast growing, which is kind of cool. That's like human size fish oh yeah absolutely well like 15 feet long is like two people yeah stacked on top of one another like they're they're massive so yeah super cool uh sort of to give you a description of what they look like they've got this sort of upturned mouth that looks kind of shovel shaped and then the rest of their body is very thick very rectangular uh, but also quite long and their heads oh my god looking at a picture of their heads it's as though someone like carved this like metallic surface they like etched it or something like it's kind of shimmery and cyborg-y almost like it's got that sort of yeah that metallic sheen and at the very on their back they've got this long dorsal fin and this this sort of coppery green coloration they're they're pretty dark but during mating season their scales have this bright red on the base so you kind of have these sort of like red spots along their back they're very pretty fish I think and looking at videos of them too (laughs) you look at their mouth and it's got this shovel shape but they can they can open it quite wide um it's a little bit alarming but yeah just absolutely colossal fish and so Blather said that they're freshwater fish Mm -hmm. so they are freshwater fish and they're one of one of the biggest freshwater fish in the world And they live in the Amazonian or Essequimo river basins, so in Peru, Brazil, and Guyana. And these areas, they're prone to seasonal flooding events. And this will result in, you know, massive parts of the forests becoming this, like, watery haven for all kinds of species. 
And in a lot of these waters, both when they're flooded and also during the dry season, the dissolved oxygen levels are really low. And especially when, during the wet season, the waters have submerged a ton of decomposing plant matter that was on the forest floor. What happens then is that these waters become even more oxygen poor because suddenly there's all these plants which make for great microorganism food and the population of microorganisms boom as they eat up all the decomposing plant matter. So in the process, they're using up all the oxygen in the water. So what you end up with is very low dissolved oxygen content. And like for anyone who's not aware, there is oxygen in the water. It's it's not the same stuff that we're breathing, but it's still important for the function of organisms like fish. And so for most fish, this is a really big problem, but the arapaima has found an amazing way of dealing with this. So its skills are actually reduced and this fish breathes air 95% of the time. Not with lungs like we do, but instead with their swim bladders. And swim bladders in fish are an organ that helps the fish control their buoyancy and move up and down in the water. And in some fish, it can also help produce sound. I like to kind of imagine the swim bladders as a balloon inside the fish that like fills up or compresses as needed. So imagine like a balloon. But in the case of arapaima, it's got this sort of like tricked out swim bladder that is located near their head and acts like a lung. Wow. And so they like actually come out of the water to breathe the air like whales or something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the way this works is that the swim bladder, it has lots of blood vessels in it and sort of a wrinkly surface. So they've got lots of surface area. And this way, the oxygen can get transferred to the blood vessels more efficiently. Now, because they need to breathe air in order to survive, they'll usually live sort of near the surface and come up for air every like 10 or so minutes, just like whales. And if they don't manage to get up to the surface for air often enough, they can actually die. So this makes them an obligate air breather. Like they need the air. They they couldn't just be like, oh, it's nice to have air, but I'll just hang out in this water. Like, no, they need it. Their, their gills just aren't good enough. I mean, they'll function, but yeah, they, they, they aren't good enough to, to keep them surviving. Wow. And apparently their air breathing is so effective that the arapaima can survive like 24 hours out of water which is amazing to me like like imagine you've just got this fish lying there for 24 hours anyway hopefully that wouldn't happen but I mean in a place where you've got flooding and drying it's not completely ridiculous to think that these arapaimas might end up in a situation where yeah they're just in a place with basically no water because the you know the water's drained out or whatever and they have to yeah get back to it so very cool and I also found out that apparently the sound of them coming up for air and gulping makes like this loud coughing sound that can be heard for really long distances. And so if people are fishing them, they'll like be able to hear where they are, which seems like a really not good adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently they're like, they're pretty massive. So they're kind of a top predator. So maybe this wasn't a consideration when they were uh, evolving. But the other benefit to this sort of air breathing technique is that in areas with low dissolved oxygen levels in the water, they can still move around easily. And they aren't having to conserve their oxygen consumption like other fish are. Um, Those other fish are going to have to slow down and reduce their muscle movements, which makes them way easier prey for the faster and better equipped arapaima. 
And are the arapaima unique in this? Like, I've never heard of a fish actually, like, breathing air. Yeah, I googled this, and I would say there's, like, a solid handful of other fish that do this. It's not as uncommon as you would think, but a lot of them, uh, they're not, like, obligate air breathers in the same way that arapaima is. I'm sure there's an exception to that, so don't quote me on that, but um, a lot of them will sometimes they'll be able to do sort of like an amphibian type thing where they can transfer oxygen from the air through their skin. Some like the lungfish have sort of like lungs, I guess, that help them to breathe air. So, I mean, even eels, like eels are able to, to you know, flop around out of water. Catfish will like, it's, it's not uncommon to f- see them just like, well, maybe it's not common exactly, but people have seen them sort of like flopping across the road to get to a new pond. So it definitely happens in the fish world. But it is pretty amazing still that arapaima has managed to do this. They're a really big fish. And yeah, I mean, they need the air in a way that other fish don't. And what are they eating? So they mostly eat other fish, but they're also known to eat all kinds of foods. So that includes fruits and seeds. They'll go after bugs and amphibians, crustaceans. And while they usually prey by opening their mouths and like allowing a vortex of water to suck food in, they've also been known to leap out of the water and pull birds, reptiles, and even small monkeys off of branches to eat, which is wacky. Like monkeys? you imagine you're just like, yeah. Like I said, their mouths are their mouths are big. Like it looks like you could probably fit a basketball in their mouth. That's like that's like crocodile behavior. <laughs> It is. Uh, Yeah. And it looks it's cool because I saw some videos of them jumping out of the water, which they do somewhat frequently enough that there's videos out there of it. And they do have a sort of crocodile look because they're kind of chunky like a crocodile and long. Do they have big teeth? They do have teeth, but they also have like a hard tongue. Actually, they're they're called like bone tongued fishes is like another name for them or their group of of fish. And they have a hard roof of their mouth and they use that to crush the food before they swallow. Oof, I wouldn't like to be a monkey in that mouth. (laughs) No. Yeah, it doesn't sound like, I mean, as a human, we're probably good. I wouldn't be too worried about them. Maybe worried about other things like piranhas in the water, but. Yeah, so it sounds like they're pretty top predators, but does anything else eat them like piranhas or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are living in, the same rivers as piranhas, but they're an apex predator. And they have these scales. I mean, you mentioned the scales before, and those are thought to maybe provide some special protection from things like piranhas because their scales are really strong, but they're also really flexible. So it kind of helps them to, you get the same protection, like they'll get dented up and stuff, but they won't break in the same way that other scales will. They sort of have a hard upper layer and then a more flexible under layer. And what is their reproduction like? Like you mentioned kind of their mating season. Yeah, so they'll usually lay their eggs during the dry season of like February, March. And the females will lay thousands of eggs in these sandy nests that they make at the bottom of the water. Those eggs will hatch at the start of the wet season, which gives the baby fish time to like take advantage of all the abundant food resources because the water's flooded into the forest. So there's lots of bugs and seeds and all sorts of stuff falling into the water. So a really big feast for the fish. But unlike the adults, these young fish don't breathe air for the first nine days until they develop the proper body form. So these young are... 
<laughs> not obligate air breeders quite yet. But I mean, what's super cute about the arapaima is that, I mean, as Blather said, they have a very impressive parental care system. So after the eggs have hatched, the parents kind of hang around to protect them. But the mom will leave about a month in to go mate and have more babies. But meanwhile, the dad will hang around and sort of like guide the babies to like the places they can find more food. So the babies will all sort of like hover around his head. Something I find like super cool and weird is that both the arapaima males and females secrete this like milky, nutritious substance from the tops of their heads. And while the exact purpose of this is still like a bit of a mystery, it seems like it's basically a nutritious supplement for the fry and like the baby fish and they'll sort of like hover around the dad's head while he swims around but isn't that weird like just imagine a fish is like in the water and it's got this like white milky stuff coming off its head yeah that's so weird and the, and it's weird that they don't know what it's for <laughs> that makes me yeah. uncomfortable <laughs> yeah I, I read about it and they were sort of like yeah it's got like I can't remember what nutrients they said, but like proteins and stuff. And they presume it's like a nutritious supplement. Like they they found that the the fry, like the baby fish who seemed to consume it, like were healthier. So I guess that's Mm -hmm. sort of like maybe the obvious relationship there. But yeah, it seemed like kind of a weird mystery. Yeah. And so I guess Blathers was at least definitely correct that they do have like interesting kind of family stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. And like, I'm not going to say that they don't keep their babies in their mouths, but (laughs) (laughs) we can't confirm or deny. I cannot confirm nor deny. (laughs) Uh, Choose whichever story suits your fancy. And so they they get really, really big. Does that mean that they're living a long time? Yeah, they, they can live up to be like 20 years old, which for a fish seems ancient to me totally (laughs) um but it takes forever for them to reach sexual maturity they'll be like four to five years old when they can uh finally lay eggs and stuff so they're definitely a a slow aging species that's really interesting i mean i would imagine that that could be an issue in terms of conservation if they if it takes that long for them to be able to reproduce Yeah, it's interesting. Reading about their conservation, it seems like the main issue for them is overharvesting. Big surprise with the fish. (laughs) I feel like every time we talk about fish, it's overharvesting. So yeah, arapaima are definitely threatened to some degree, but according to the IUCN Red List, they are data deficient. So there's not really enough data to tell exactly where they are on that list. But You know, lots of different papers I read said they're threatened, at least to some degree. And according to cities, witches or CITES, uh, depending on how you pronounce it, which is sort of like the wildlife trade control body, they have them listed as like a threatened species or species of concern. Right. And what I could gather was that, you know, they'd been harvested for centuries. You know, they've been traditionally harvested, but also once commercial fisheries came into play and once colonization happened, you really started to see that decline throughout the 60s and the 70s. And then their numbers really plummeted in the mid-1990s, which prompted the Brazil government to implement a ban on hunting them. So, or I guess fishing them (laughs) would be the correct term for that. But, you know, before I talk more about that, I did want to talk about arapaima and the people who, who live around them. So 
Arapaima are a major source of food and income for many communities that live around their habitat in the Amazon. So for many people, they use the whole fish, including the head in meals. The scales can be used as nail files or ornaments, and the tongue can be used to help grate up something called guarana, which is like a caffeinated berry. And a single fish can be sold for 200 bucks, which is great for families looking for some income. But the problem is when illegal fisheries come in, you know, not only is it unsustainable usually, but it can actually reduce the price a family might get for a fish at the market. And because the fish are really needy, I mean, like I said before, the biggest one was like 440 pounds. That's a lot of fish. Yeah. But their flesh also doesn't have many bones. So it's like kind of ideal as a food item. So yeah, they're, they're a very popular food item and commercial fisheries have depleted their populations in many parts of the Amazon particularly around urban centers. And since the ban on their harvest, Brazil sort of said like, okay, NGOs, how about you go in and see if there's a way to make these fisheries sustainable? They also made it so that the ban did allow local people to continue to harvest, just no commercial fisheries. So I thought that was good because (laughs) implementing a fishing ban on such a important food source is probably not a great idea. And probably won't be very effective. So yeah, lots of local NGOs started working with local communities to figure out how to protect the fish in a way that would allow further populations to bounce back. And it seems to have worked really well from what I've read. Uh, So in some communities, they've set up like enforcement systems with local people watching out for any illegal fisheries that might be happening near their communities. There's also some partner researchers who've come in to work with locals to learn more about the Arapaima movement during flood and breeding seasons. And they've also set up restrictions for their communities and that sort of restricts the harvest of Arapaima that are smaller than a designated size. So that helps these younger fish give them the opportunity to breed and to to help the population. And in some places, the Arapaima population has quadrupled. So that's really exciting. And of course, there's lots to still be done, uh, but it was nice to read about conservation efforts that have been led by local people and are not just like fly-in, fly-out scientists and NGOs. And if I've learned anything from my environmental sociology degree, it's that we love community-based conservation. I think it's it's really great to be seeing that in action. Yeah, and there's so much local knowledge there, I'm sure, like and the way that they, yeah, use the whole fish and the things that they know about their behavior and everything. I mean, they're really the people who should be like leading those efforts. Yeah, and they're the people who have a stake in it too. Like, this is their livelihood and their food and their this is their home and their landscape. No one understands it better than them. And what's great is that in the Hurua River that's the area where they've seen like the quadrupling numbers, is that the people have also seen a lot of social benefits. So more money is being put into local infrastructure and education and healthcare, and it's helping to provide a lot of women with economic opportunities. So yeah, it's great to see sort of this connection between conservation and also social issues. Of course, it's also important to mention that habitat protection is always essential to conservation. And especially because the Arapaima, you know, they're not just using the waterways, they're also using the forests during the wet season. So for their conservation, you're not just worried about the water, you know, the forests have to be protected too. So I thought that was kind of an interesting species conservation wise. Like it's, it's nice to see like a positive story, even though there's lots more work to be done. 
but also a fish that you know is so dependent on an entire landscape not just the water or the ocean yeah it's all very connected <laughs> it's really nice to kind of talk about conservation on a more positive note and it really sets a standard like in Canada we could use a lot more of this type of system in terms of working with the people who know the land the best but yeah like that's that's a really inspiring story and I'm really happy to hear that the Arapaima are doing a bit better at least because I just it makes Mm -hmm. me sad to hear about cool animals and then it's like oh they're doing really bad and it's only getting worse (laughs) especially in like the Amazon where I feel like we only I only ever hear bad news in the Amazon which is very depressing it's like oh this type of dolphin is like gone now or like the Mm -hmm. whole rainforest has been taken down (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much Olivia I learned a lot about the arapaima and it has only confirmed for me that it's a very cool species. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. I Watching all these videos of people on canoes in the Amazon Basin, I think I'm just getting, like, really, um, uh, like, cabin fever, like, wanting to go somewhere warm <laughs> with water. Yeah, Because anytime fair. I watch a video of people, like, on the water, I'm like, oh, that looks so nice. I don't care if there's piranhas in the water. That sounds really fun. <laughs> oh. So it was nice researching this episode because I was like, this, this, what a unique place. It's so beautiful. It's a little vacation in your mind. <laughs> yeah, I just imagine I'm with the Arapaima. I'm, I'm ready for spring. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, so am I. We just had another blizzard up here and the snow's definitely taller oh. than my head outside my window. So. <laughs> Wow. Not to say this place isn't beautiful. It is a very beautiful place. Um, it's very different. It's just getting a bit, <laughs> a bit chilly. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening. And if you're a new listener, please subscribe. And everyone should definitely leave us a rating and review because it really helps us move up in the charts and helps other people discover the podcast. So if you're liking the show please leave us a review. It would honestly mean so much to us. Mm-hmm. Make sure more people know about the Arapaima. Yeah. And of course, if you want to stay up to date, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Beyond Blathers. And please feel free to message us at any time if you have a suggestion for an animal you'd like to see us cover or any fun animal facts. We're always down for that. Yeah, we love hearing from you in general. We have lots of really cool listeners who do lots of cool things so yeah Mm -hmm. send us your animal pictures whatever (laughs) (laughs) animal crossing pictures too we're always down oh yeah okay well tune in next week to learn more about the insects fish and fossils you can find in animal crossing new horizons bye bye